Welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast. This is the weekly show where we talk about all things money and finance and where we give you information to help you make the best financial decisions possible. So if you want to buy your first home, you want to be better with money, you want to learn how to invest, where to begin, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Peter Komalafe. I'm so thrilled to have you here. So without further ado, let's get going with this week's show. Good morning, good morning. So you know the phrase money talks and obviously we talk about money here on this channel. Um, but I want to um, touch a subject that uh, a lot of people have been asking me questions about, um, certainly on uh, IG um, over the last maybe couple of months. And I'm not really too sure exactly why. It may be just kind of like the times and stuff. But I thought it was high time for me to kind of get around to actually talking about this and breaking down um, some of the language that you would be coming across if you're in this environment right now where you want to invest your money and you want to have an ethical start to how your money is actually invested. Um, there's lots of stuff at the moment that you could Google, um, but unfortunately, uh, like all things on Google, there'll be a little bit of jargon. So what I want to do is break it down, break down the jargon, give you the 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 lowdown that you need so that you can feel empowered in terms of how you can invest ethically. So this is something that I I, I feel really, really passionate about. About I think it was uh, last month, actually, I did a, a talk on a panel where we were talking about ESG, ethical investing specifically. And you know me, I like talking about investments. It's what I find interesting. It's what I'm, I get excited about and giddy about. Uh, call me a geek, but that's just, uh, that's just me. Um, but I think that you know my, my insights are what you guys are looking for um, when you come to the podcast. So that's what we're going to do today. So with that said and the scene set, let's get into the jargon. So if you are investing at the moment, so you're either investing into the stock market via an ISA or you're investing via a pension, um, then you probably have come across the phrase ethically investing and you might have come across the uh, the phrase ESG. Um, so ESG is essentially a standard or a set of standards that fund managers and investment houses use to vet companies that they invest in. So these are all metrics that are not financial metrics, and this is really important. So typically, and in days gone by, when you're investing in the company, if you're buying shares in the company, you are simply looking at financial metrics. That's really the crux of what you're looking for. ESG takes it away from the financial metrics and starts to look at three key areas. So the first area is environmental, the second is social, and the third is governance. So essentially what it means is that investment houses or fund managers will look to invest in companies that have a strong environmental policy, have a strong social policy, and have a strong uh, governance setup. So from an environmental point of view, it's essentially making sure that they have some kind of green policy around uh, whether they're paperless, so on and so forth. From a social point of view, it might be um, how positive they are in terms of the positive impact to their to their local community, so on and so forth. And governance can also lead to or lend itself to things like, are you paying your employees a fair wage? Uh, do you have diversity 
within the workplace, all these kind of things. So ESG are, is essentially a set of standards used to vet companies. And these standards are not based on financial metrics. Really, really important, guys. So ESG is essentially ethical investing. And the whole point of ethical investing is you want your money to talk. You want your money to be used to better the future in some way, shape or form. And um, I was I was listening to a, a podcast just earlier today and there was a staggering figure that came out. And this is this is crazy. So if you have a pension, so let's just say, for example, uh, you've worked for a, a former employer and you've left that place and you've got your workplace pension still invested in whatever fund or with whatever administrator that they you've had the money invested with originally. The stats suggested that if you were to move said pension from your former employer away into something that is ethically invested, that you would save 2,200 tonnes of carbon emissions. Now, that number is crazy because when you do the comparison and put this into context, what this study all suggested was that if you take a transatlantic flight, so just, you know, take a holiday and go on a plane somewhere, that is only 19 tons. So think about this, huge numbers. A transatlantic flight is 19 tons in terms of your CO2 emissions. But if you move your pension from uh, from where it is right now to an ethically invested provider, for example, you could save 2,200 tons. It's crazy. Absolutely staggering numbers. So this is really, really important. And I think for most of you who listen to the podcast, yeah, you're going to be of the, your, of the younger generation. I know that we do have some older listeners as well. And this is going to be applicable to everybody who listens to this because let's face it, we have to, as a peoples, be mindful of the impact that we are having, not just on the environment, but also on our communities and also with people. And this is the whole point of ESG is to scrutinize companies, is there to push companies to do better. So for example, Within an ESG uh, offering, depending on how companies uh, vet, because there are different components to ESG, and we'll get into that very, very shortly. Some companies may say, you know what, if you haven't got an environmental policy, we're not going to place any money with you. And because money does talk and because money does hold water, many companies will say, well, what do we have to do in order for you to invest with us? And let's just say in this example, there's 100 million pounds on the table. Said company without an environmental uh, policy will go and invent one. And the great thing about this is that, you know, these fund managers, investment houses, they have the ability to take a seat at the board to ensure that if a company were to say, we will introduce an environmental policy, a green policy of some kind to, to meet the criteria that you say you want us to meet, then by sitting on the board, these companies have the ability to hold them to account. So in other words, they could sit on the board and agree a period of time under which a policy will be introduced, what shape that policy takes, how they're going to implement that policy and, and measure the performance of that policy. If after you know the agreed period of time, 
those metrics, those measures haven't been met or those policies haven't been implemented, then these investment houses and fund managers have the ability to pull their money away from the company. And guess what? No company wants that. No, no company wants to receive investment from an investor for large sums of money only to have it drawn out because they didn't keep up to their agreement when it comes to creating a policy that is ethical in some way, shape or form. So money really, really does talk. And if you're listening to this, I, I really want you to think about the impact that your money could have from an ethical point of view, not just, you know, locally, but globally. And I'm thinking, you know, environmental. I am thinking about the social policies. I'm thinking about, you know, uh, equality and diversity in the workplace. Think about how powerful your pensions, your investments are in the improvement of those areas. And for many people, I know that this is on the radar. For many people, it isn't, you know, and 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 that's personal preference. I mean, I was also looking at some stats um, sort of earlier on, and we were, and I got into a little bit of a rabbit hole, really, to be honest, because I started looking at um, where money basically goes. And even if you've got your money with your bank, for example, right, and you've got money saved with your bank, some of these banks do not have the best ethical record in terms of what they do with your money when they when you deposit it with them. So, for example, there's a stat here that says Lloyd, the Lloyd's group, since 2015, so between 2015 and 2019, have invested 4.1 billion euros in arms, in armaments. Let, let, let that just sink in for a second. This is Lloyd's banking group. 4.1 billion invested in armaments. So this is money that has gone to conflicts around the world. And you look at Santander, for example. I mean, then you look at these numbers, these are big numbers. And it's almost weird me having to say that 100 million doesn't sound like a lot of money when it absolutely is. When you think about it in comparison to 4.1 billion, it's, it's a drop in the ocean. They invested, Santander invested 100 million pounds in arms. It's crazy. So again, it's thinking about, you know, where you're putting your money, what is it being used for, and how can it be used for the better? Now, I do want to talk a little bit about how um, ethical investing kind of works so that you guys can kind of um, feel informed if you do go out and start looking for, for ethical investments. Now, I don't want to get too technical with this, but Investment houses and fund managers will will do well, three things. There are three ways that they can do. This. So they've got something called positive screening, where they basically say, for example, we are only going to invest in companies that do X. There's negative screening, which is the opposite of that. We will not invest in companies, for example, who uh, have money going towards arms or have any involvement with arms or armaments, right? Then you have the impact investing. And this one is really, really important. And, and for me, it's something that I really, really like. And it's kind of what I described earlier, where they are saying, we will invest in your company. However, we want you to have this, 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 and this. And if you agree, we will give you this much. We'll take a seat on the board. We'll hold you to account. But if those things don't come to fruition over an agreed period of time, we will pull our money out. And what this is essentially doing is it's forcing companies that may 
or may not otherwise look at an ethical investment or ethical policy being implemented in their business and forcing them to do so. It's forcing change. And this is why it's so powerful. This is why your money, your money is so powerful because your money really, really can make a difference. It can push these organizations to be more green, more um, ethical minded and have a better and more future friendly policy that they implement as a result of that. And, you know, there were some myths around ethical investing that I thought, you know, let's spend some time talking about because for too long now, and, you know, guys, I used to work for uh, an investment house. I have worked for a number of them, investment houses, in fact. And, you know, if you, if you go back, you know, maybe five, five, maybe six years ago, ethical investing was kind of like, eh, it was there in the periphery. Like people knew that it was going to be a big thing, but you just didn't bother. Right now, now it's extremely popular. In fact, most investment houses, most robo advisors that you would use. So for example, if you have a look at people like um, Moneybox, for example, or Pension B, they will all have ethical offerings. You can get ethical funds, ethical ETFs, exchange trade funds. You can get ethical index funds. These things are now more popular, way, way more popular than they were five, six years ago when they were sat on the periphery. So if, you, if you're using you know, uh, investment apps or uh, Hargis Amazon or Vanguard or, or people like that, you will come across uh, funds where they say ESG or ETS where they say ESG. That's essentially an ethical offering. That means that they have been using the ESG standards to vet the companies that they have invested in either the index fund or the ETF or the portfolio that you're essentially looking at. Now, the myths around ethical investing are numerous, but I do want to go through three. And one of them is, it's going to be expensive. Now, that that isn't necessarily the case. Some ethical investments can be a little bit more expensive than just normal um, options because of the work that needs to go in. So, for example, if you are the kind of person that says, for example, I feel strongly that I do not want to have any companies or invest in any companies where there is uh, a possibility that they have money invested in armaments, for example, like just keep the example exactly the same, then essentially what the investment provider that you're using has to do is they will have to apply some negative screening. That means literally doing a lot of research. And that means looking through the company's uh, financials, doing in-depth analysis to make sure that in no way, shape or form do they have any money or any involvement, either by the company itself or subsidiaries or linked companies that they might own that are under different names or under different brands that they don't have any um, link to armaments as per your request. Now, that takes time. It takes expertise. It takes experience to be able to do that. And for that reason, some, some ethical funds will be more expensive than index funds and maybe some of the typical ETFs that don't have the ESG standards applied to them. 
What I have noticed over the last two, three years, though, is that the cost of these has come down significantly and they will continue to reduce in cost as more and more and more providers come to the table and more and more uh, of these options become or fund become available for you to access. It's like with all things, competition is always good because it brings down the price of things. So the more popular this becomes, the cheaper it is going to become. And I will, I will be as bold to say that we will potentially live in a world, maybe in the next two to three years, and you could probably come back and listen to this episode um, uh, at that point, where we will be in a world where all investments will have an ESG leaning or an ethical leaning because those ESG standards will be applied to every single investment option that you will find on the market. And just think about the good that that will actually do. That will be, that will be a seismic shift from where we were just even 10 years ago, a seismic shift, because we will be fully, fully determined and focused on investing money only for the betterment of not just us, but our future, our kids' futures, our grandkids' futures, and really looking after the planet and having a you know a socially responsible policy and governance where we're able to just you know live the lives that we want to going forward and having money as the engine to drive that change. The second myth that we have is that you know when you invest in an ethical fund that the returns are just rubbish. You get lower returns, they don't perform as well as other funds. That now is un- unequivocally unequivocally incorrect because I have most of my investments actually are actually in um, ethical funds and they have performed extremely well, even in times with, uh, you know, COVID. I mean, if you have a look at some of the ethical funds, a lot of them will be invested in the tech sector. If you look at the tech sector over the last, you know, six to nine months, Amazon, Tesla, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, they have all done extremely well. Now, that's not to say that, you know, they're going to continue to perform at these levels. I mean, if you just look, have a look at, you know, Amazon stock and Tesla stock alone, I mean, just nuts. It's absolutely crazy. We're not saying it's going to continue to perform at that level because past performance is no indication of future performance. But as these things get more popular and the investment management becomes a bit more uh, efficient and the cost comes down, you would hope that the performance of these will outstrip, far outstrip, just traditional methods of investing and will therefore become more attractive to people who are not just, you know, perhaps not just investing for ethical reasons, but are chasing the financial returns. And this is the one thing that is really, really important. Whilst you are investing ethically, obviously there is an expectation that you're going to get a decent return. And that's one thing that, you know, given the extra cost for doing the extra work and, and all this kind of stuff that, that that is standard when you're investing ethically, that that financial return is the whole reason why you're investing in the, in the first place. So funds have to perform at that level. And I'm glad to say that, you know, my, my <clears throat> investments have done really, really well, even over uh, the period of the pandemic as well. The last, the last myth that I actually want to cover with you guys is one um, that, again, is kind of like it's old, it's outdated now. And that is that, you know, ethical investing is higher risk. It can be, 
It absolutely can be. And in fact, if you're using some of uh, the providers out there, you will probably see that some of them are, are going to be at the higher risk. Now, I say it's a myth because I I sent it in a, in, in, as a myth in the form that it has to be for you if you're absolutely only an adventurous uh, investor. And again, you've got to remember that risk is relative to your time horizon, okay? So remember, for example, if you are 30 years old and you've got your money invested in ethical fund and it's slightly higher risk, so let's just say it's uh, above a balanced. So let's just say out of a one to 10, it's a seven. Because you're only 13, you're probably not going to need your pension until, let's just say, age 60, you've got a 30-year time horizon you're okay taking that level of risk. That is very, very different if you're investing money and you want to be ethical, but you've only got, say, three years to invest. Then, you know, going into a fund that is a, a risk seven out of 10 may not necessarily be the best route for you. But as always, I say, you know, guys, yes, I'm a qualified financial advisor, but please don't take that specific um, example as advice. Certainly use it to uh, to do your own research and come to your own determination. But in general sense, in general speak, when we talk about investments, your timeline is very, very important in, in regards to the level of risk that you take. In simple terms, the longer you invest, the more risk you can afford to take. The shorter time you have to invest, i.e. less than three years, you know, really, yes, for about four years, maybe even less than five years, then the less risk you need to be taken. But those are all things that you need to bear in mind. And ethical investments have always been uh, typically very, very high risk only for the adventurous. But again, because this is becoming more of a popular thing and more providers are offering this now, you're finding that actually they're becoming a bit more efficient and they're coming down at the risk scale. Although you will see if you do a direct comparison between uh, a normal index fund and maybe uh, an ESG index fund, you may see a little bit of a difference in the risk uh, score for that specific fund as well. But guys, those are some of the myths that are there. There are many ways that you can access ethical in ethical funds or ethical options. The best thing that I would you know suggest that you do is whoever it is that you're using, have a look through what funds they have on offer and have a good look through them. Typically, what you'll find is that they will either use the word ethical in the fund name or fund title, or you'll have a designation with ESG. So ESG, again, is environmental, social, and governance. If it has that designation, then it will be an ethical fund. The next thing I would suggest that you basically do is once you've identified that there is an ESG designation to the fund is have a little read through the fund um, fact sheet because the fund fact sheet will have all the information in terms of what is there to do, the, the objectives, why it's been set up. And you'll get a little bit of information around the back-tested back data um, or historic performance of that fund as well. So there are, there are many options you can go down. You can go Vanguard, you can go Hargreaves and Lansdowne. Like I said, Moneybox offer them. If you're looking at pensions, Pension B actually offer them as well. 
there are lots of them now and they are becoming more and more popular. So I hope you found value in this and I hope that it's kind of piqued your interest to at least answered a few questions if you've been thinking about um, ethically, ethical investing and what it essentially means. Um, you know, we're trying to educate here and try to provide as much information to empower your investment and financial decisions. So I hope that has been useful. We will revisit this in maybe about two or three weeks time because I do have a guest that is going to come on to delve into this a little bit deeper and just kind of talk about what they're doing on their side in this space. Because like I said, this is becoming more and more popular and there is a need for it. So guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, one thing I do actually have to announce uh, this week is... I know that many of you who listen to this podcast, again, are, you know, 25 plus. I think that's the biggest majority of people who actually listen to this podcast. So 25 to 34 is the main bulk of the demographic here. And I know that one of the big things that we face at the moment in terms of challenges um, here in the UK is, you know, getting on the property ladder. That can be very, very challenging. In fact, the average age of a first time buyer is now 34. So People are getting on, onto the property ladder, you know, a lot later in life and not as uh, as early, early as you would like um, in, in the ideal world. And one of the big challenges that we all that we face is deposits, because house prices are increasing in way in excess of any salary or, or income uh, increases that we're that we're experiencing in the economy. And COVID necessarily hasn't been good for uh, increasing in pay for many sectors and many industries particularly with furlough um, and some of the emergency uh, measures that have been introduced. So in a bid to kind of help with the education around, well, how do you plan for your house deposit? Because that's the biggest challenge, right? How do you, how, how do you plan for your house deposit? How do you actually ascertain what deposit you need? We're hosting um, an event on November 7th. It's called How to Make Home Ownership a Reality. We're going to be going through the mortgage process so that you know that upfront if you're looking to purchase your first home. We're also going to be talking about how you can protect what you're working towards. So if something like COVID were to happen again, protecting yourself so that you don't have to start from square one just because something has come out of the blue. Then more importantly, we're going to have two workshops and the workshops are going to be practical, practical things that you can do. So the first thing it's going to do is identify what deposit you need. And it's also going to help you begin to structure your finances so that you can have a target in mind or a target in date that you can work back towards in terms of making that deposit a reality. So that might be a 12-month plan, a 30-month plan, a 14-month plan with a specific set amount that you need to put towards that. We'll talk about how you can generate additional incomes, a whole host of stuff. And then the last session is going to be all about how you actually put that into a workable plan that works for you. We're going to give you tools. There's going to be a workshop that you're going to have to put in working for. But if you are a first time buyer looking at buying a property in the next one, two, three or, or three years, this event is definitely for you. Tickets are $19.99. It's going to be a 9.45 arrival. We're going to be finished around about half past three, maybe four o'clock. It's November the 7th. It's a Saturday. It's going to be a full-on day, but it's going to be so worth your time. 
if you're looking to get on the property ladder, you're going to walk away some practical tools and you're actually going to walk away with your own personal financial plan on how you're going to make home ownership a reality for you. So I will leave a link in the show notes for you to book tickets. Again, it's November 7th. Um, It's literally, I think it's in about a week and a half time. So definitely book tickets. The link I'm just going to say on here as well is bit.ly forward slash home ownership dash 101. So that's bit.ly forward slash home ownership dash 101. So guys, book your tickets. I'd love to see you there. Um, I think it's going to be great. Um, This is the second event that we've run uh, along these lines where we're trying to empower people. This is more targeted. Um, And if you're actually in a position where you are ready to buy your house now and you're looking to take advantage of the stamp duty, then this event will also help you because the mortgage expert we have speaking will also run through what that stamp duty break actually means for you, how you can access it, the things that you need to know. If it doesn't match you, this isn't for you, you've got uh, maybe kids, for example, or friends or relatives that may find this useful, please be sure to share this episode or the booking link with them. I really do appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have an amazing week. Catch you next one.